I want to thank the, the string instruments for playing this morning. What a tremendous gift. And I know that the Lord is smiling when he sees us praising him in such ways. Uh, this morning as we turn in the Gospel of John, if you have your own Bibles, and I hope you do. If you don't, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And I would think it would be remiss that you would come to this church and you would trust me to teach and read the scriptures without your Bible open. I am a fallible person. Uh, as evidence from last week when I was quoting from Zechariah 36.25, when in, in fact it was Ezekiel 36.25, uh, even my wife was kind enough to try to save me from my faux pas by texting me. Uh, fortunately, I had my phone off, so I didn't get her text or anyone else's. But you must have your Bible open because it is God's word for you. And if you put your trust in this pulpit or in me, you misplace your trust. We put our trust in the word of God. And so as we read and study God's word together, I, I, I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers because I know my faults and my sins and I know that God is able to even use someone like me to help you be attuned to what God is teaching. But more importantly, we never trust in humans to understand the Bible. It is God the Holy Spirit that brings illumination. Do you all hear that? It is God the Holy Spirit who illuminates the scriptures for us. And so in light of that, it was appropriate that we come before God in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into your presence, we simply pray, Lord Jesus, let that book live in such ways that it's more than ink and page. It is the literal purpose that you have brought us to this place to hear the word of God. And so because of that, bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, would you stand with me as our custom to hear God's word? We are reading from the 22nd verse. Uh, just as right after Nicodemus has met with Jesus. And Jesus has taught Nicodemus that he must be born again or born from above. And Nicodemus is, is just overwhelmed by this. And then Jesus goes on to say that just as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John continues, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Ju Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also, John the Baptist, John also was baptizing at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples, that is the Baptist, and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who, you, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And to this John replied, person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends 
the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. But whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limits. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Last week we saw how John was uh, leading us through Jesus' teaching with Nicodemus about uh, being cleansed. And in being cleansed, we talked about the, the importance of being born from above. In other words, uh, there, is a, there is a truth that, that we cannot become Christians in and of ourselves. We cannot one day decide in our own reasons to become followers of Christ. There's something that happens within us that changes us. And it is only that change that happens by God's Spirit when we hear the gospel that we respond to Christ and the Bible says we are born from above. We are given a spirit of God that now lives within us. And so as John is, is leading us through this encounter with Nicodemus, one of the things that becomes very amazing is you, you take these words, you have to come to a place in your own walk today where you have to decide for yourselves, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough so that today if you were to perish from the earth, you would be able to stand before God and you would stand before him able to be forgiven, cleansed, and called blameless because of what Christ did in the cross for you? You see, we aren't told the rest of the story of how God would do this particular work. It's just that Jesus has declared that he would be lifted up just as the serpent would be lifted up, that he would be lifted up, and anyone who believed in him would indeed have eternal life. And eternal life, John, by the way, defines for us in his sixth chapter of the gospel is this is eternal life, that we come to know God the Father and the one he has sent, even Jesus Christ our Lord. But we're also told in the gospel, as we have studied so far, that this message, this person, Jesus, that has come into the world is not listened to. That he is the light that comes into the darkness, but the darkness did not want him. And that imagery is very powerful here because it is for that reason that John is writing this particular part of the gospel to lead you and I through the decision, do we believe that Jesus is that light? Have you put your full faith and your full trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of the resurrection to come? Because it really is your choice. You must decide. Just like all the others who hear the gospel, you must make a decision. Do I really believe Christ and invite him into my life or do I go through the motions? 
And what has happened in our country in the last couple of generations is we have raised a, a group of young people throughout the last two generations that really were people we wanted to see grow wealthier after World War II was over, after World War II had ended. All of those veterans came back and they were worshiping in this church. Lewis Edmonston was one. He was injured in the Battle of the Bulge. Charles, Charles was another. He was, he was at Pearl Harbor. When they came back from seeing the horror of that war, they asked themselves, what kind of life do we want to live after what we witnessed? And they said, we want our children to never have to face that again. And so they devoted themselves to building institutions of learning and they said, we want our children to have a better life. And in that seeking for the better life, what happened was, almost without notice, the Bible and God's word became diminished. So that now we have generations coming forward who do not even understand the scriptures anymore. Why? I'm not sure, except that God did tell us that there would be dark days just like there have been dark days before. But the real culprit behind all of this is what do we believe about Jesus? If you and I were to walk on the streets of Mooresville and we were to ask people at Davidson, who is Jesus Christ to you? Many would patently say, well, he's the son of God, but they would say it without even thought of what that meant. Many people would say, well, I believe he, he was a savior, but without ever knowing what he saved them from. That many probably would come to say, I'm not sure he was a good man or a good teacher, maybe someone who spoke for God. And so in the days that we live, it is not unreasonable for us to look at what John wrote in his gospel to realize that those challenges were the same challenges we face today. Is Jesus Christ enough? And so after going through Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus and Jesus holding himself up as the, as the catalyst, as the central action of God at work in the world, bringing men and women back to God through his ministry, we now come to the place where we have to ask ourselves, is this true? That's why John includes this testimony of John the Baptist. If you notice in chapter chapter 3 verse 22 and if you look very carefully you will see how there was a conflict that arose what was the conflict well look very clearly it says after this after Jesus and Nicodemus had their meeting his disciples went out into the Judean countryside in other words they went from a urban setting in Jerusalem back out into the countryside of Judea and in that context they began to hear Jesus's teaching of the kingdom of heaven the first words recorded in the Gospel of Mark of Jesus are repent and believe, the king, believe in him. That was, the, that was the message of Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe in me, the one God has sent. And so as Jesus was proclaiming that message to the countryside and people were hearing it and gathering, they were cut to the quick that this really was the promised one, the one who would make atonement for our sins, the Messiah who was promised of the Old Testament, and they were being baptized by Jesus' disciples. And when that happened, the disciples of John the Baptist looked, and they were jealous. 
Have you ever been jealous of someone? I have. I have been jealous in many ways. One of the things I must confess to you as a pastor is that when pastors get together, they, they begin to talk about their ministries, and it's very easy to become jealous of other ministries. Did you know that? I mean, my, my goodness, if, if ministry, it's all ministry is, is gathering people in a place, then surely the TV evangelists are doing a greater job than anyone in the world, Right? Or if you think about what's happening in churches around the country and you think about the tremendous claims that are being made that are contrary to the scriptures, you would say, well, maybe, maybe the ministries are succeeding because they're compromising on the message. Maybe that's the problem. We've got to change the message of the scriptures so it's more accommodating for people. You see, there's some jealousy there. Well, why do I say all that? Well, not to confess my sins before you. They are obvious. But to simply say the jealousy that these disciples of John the Baptist had was not in knowledge of what really had transpired in the whole purpose of their baptism. You see, John's baptism was a baptism for the forgiveness of sin because they were preparing for the coming of Jesus. John was saying, the one who was coming, I am not fit to tie his bootlace. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John could never give that. It's kind of like what happens in an institution when the institution becomes more important than the reason for it existing. And so people support the institution without realizing the purpose of it. I laugh at a historic church like this because we can easily do that ourselves. Uh, some of you notice we take up collections with bags on poles. Have you noticed that? Uh, did you give enough? We can always pass those aback. Uh, some people used to tease me and said, well, there used to be pointed things on the end of the stick, so when the usher took it up, if he didn't see enough in the bag, he would turn it around and poke you with it so you'd give more. Some other people say their tradition goes that when you, were, when you had someone preaching like me in the pulpit and they were beginning to fall asleep, the ushers would grab the pole and tap people on the shoulder to keep them awake. That's not what they were for at all. And so one Sunday I was, I was uh, going through the motions of our worship and I thought, why, why do we even use these bags? Have you ever thought of that? Why do we use them? And, and I remember uh, two spinster ladies of this church margaret and Catherine cowan they were born in this church they were raised in mount morin they took care of every member of their family in the house they had and they were here every sunday they were tremendous north carolina state fans they would go to every state basketball game saturday night and they would be back here on sunday morning for worship and i went to Catherine one day and i said Catherine, why do we take up offerings with a bag and a pole and you know what her answer was that's the way we've always done it <laughs> and I said well why do you think the bags are, are, are that way so you can only get one hand inside and she said well because that's the way we've always done it and I thought here are two wonderful Christian women who practice a worship every Sunday but they have no thought as to what they're doing in their worship. You see, the reason we have a bag is because we've always done it that way. 
but you will notice the bag is big enough for you to put one hand in because your left hand is to not know what your right hand is doing. That your giving is between you and God, not some popularity contest. And therefore, it's a bag so that no one else sees what you give. Isn't that beautiful? It is meant to emphasize your relationship with God in your giving to God alone. That's how this ministry has been maintained since its foundation. Through the giving of God's people. Isn't that amazing? But if we began to be worried about money, we would probably begin to think, well, we need to institutionalize this. We need to start taking up chicken, Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets, and no one leave until they're full. Or we need to make sure that certain things happen so that people give, so we begin to manipulate you. Or we begin to twist you in such ways that you feel guilty unless you give every dollar you have in your wallet before you leave here. What has happened in that circumstances? The maintaining of the institution becomes more important than the purpose of why we're here. And that what was happening in baptism. When John the Baptist's disciples saw that Jesus was also baptizing and many people were going to him. In fact, more people were going to Jesus than coming to John. They began to become jealous. They had lost sight of what God was doing. And it's for that reason John's testimony is so powerful this morning. Because it's, it's a testimony of three things. It talks about this Jesus. And it answers the question, is Jesus really enough? So that you can walk confidently that God has forgiven you as you've received him. That God has bestowed upon you that name blameless, that you stand blameless before him because of what Christ has done for you in the cross. Is Jesus enough? And the answer is yes, and here's why. John's testimony first is that Christ is, has preeminence in origin. What does he mean by that? Well, look back at verse 31. These verses are quite powerful. I could preach for probably four hours on them, but I won't. But please notice in verse 31, you find these words that are so potent with meaning. The one who comes from above is above all. Well, what does he mean? The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to earth and speaks of the one from, from the earth. What is, what is Jesus laying down? Those who are the one who comes from heaven is above all. Well, what is, what is John testifying? He's saying that this Jesus does not was not created in the manger. He lived with God from the beginning. Remember John 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through him all things were created. And so when you and I think of coming to Jesus, we are not coming to a prophet like Muhammad or some other teacher of some religion in some other part of the world. We're coming to the one true God who has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when you and I wrestle with this truth, you begin to realize if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the one true God, if he is the expression of God revealed in the world, then no one else counts for anything. This is why as 
the history of the church has, has unfolded, we have endeavored to reach people for Christ. Why? Because Christ is the only one who can speak to us of God. And so if you want to know of God, if you want to know who God is, what God has intended in your life, why you're here, what's your purpose for life, you will only find that in Jesus because he is the origin of your life. Now that's a powerful thing when you think about what I've lived through in my life. There was a time when people were so hungry to know that that in California they came up with a method of having pet rocks. Do you remember pet rocks? Some of you were too young for this. Let me explain this to you. It was that you would have this pet rock and it would be your pet and you would carry the rock in your pocket. And when you ate lunch, you'd put the rock on the table because that rock had life in it. And you could talk to that rock and find out things about your life from that rock. You say, well, Robert, you grew up in a really weird time. You haven't seen anything yet. Because people look for meaning and purpose and they find it in all ways and all manners of places. What do I mean by that? Well, look at what's happened with sexuality in our nation. It has grown to unlimited forms. It's so that now there is confusion over genders. Why is all of this happening? It's because we have lost the knowledge of the one who created us. The darkness is there. It's always been there. Some of you are so worried about what's happening in our culture. Let me tell you, this is nothing new under the sun. The darkness has always been there. The only reason it's been strange to us is in our nation we have been blessed with the knowledge of Christ from the pulpits of our churches where faithful preaching of God's word was such that people knew who the real God was. And his name is Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, the whole world has been transformed. Light has been spreading and continues to spread all around the world. Jesus has preeminence. He always will. This is John's testimony. Let me ask you, are there moments when you are tempted to be ashamed of Jesus? I was invited to come and open a meeting of prayer in another town, and I will never forget how the person came to me and said, we would love for you to come and open our meeting of prayer, but please do not pray in the name of Jesus. Is there any other name but Jesus? We're going to see more of that in our culture, not less. Why? Because the darkness is still there. And that's one reason I think that Jesus says, let your light shine. Let it shine. Secondly, John's testimony is that Christ has preeminence of word. This is a, a fascinating passage. It's, it's dealing with with truth, and please notice how John puts this. He, he says, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. 
What, what is he saying? Well, look at verse 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Isn't that glorious? Well, what is John saying? Well, first of all, he wants you to understand that the words that Jesus speaks were not Jesus' words. They were God's words. And God is true. And so as people heard Jesus teach and preach, they began to resonate, this is truth. And the reason they did was because God had revealed it in such measure that they couldn't deny it. Have you ever tried to unsee truth? You ever tried that? You ever try to deny that truth is true? You can't. And so as Jesus was preaching, one of the things that he was doing in speaking the word of God, people were hearing that word is true, and they were saying, this is true. And then they would have to make a decision. Do I believe it and follow it, or do I reject it? And the most amazing thing is in verse 33, we are told that he came from above. He began to speak God's word to the whole of creation. And what happened? No one accepted his testimony. Why? Because those who live in darkness, who love darkness, don't want the light. When I was growing up, my mother raised us. We were one, I was the last of three. And she used to try to wake us up in two ways to make sure we got to school. I would highly recommend these ways for your children or grandchildren. They are extremely effective. The first is my mother would go into the kitchen and she would pick the pan that was at the bottom of the cabinet where every other pan was on top and she would yank it out with one big yank so all the pans seemed to sound as if they had fallen from heaven into the floor. Kalam, blah, 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 blah. That was the first thing she would do and if she didn't get a response from us at that point then she would come into our room, my brother and I, and there was this huge light in the center of the ceiling and she would cut the light on and it was still dark and we would go, ah. But when the light shone and we got used to it we began to realize it's time to get up. That's what Jesus' word does, isn't it? When we first hear the teaching of Christ, and we will hear it in John, it begins to pierce us. It begins to cause us to make a decision. Will we receive it or will we reject it? Will we follow it or will we deny it? This is the power of Christ's word. And when you say to yourself, this is true, you are not saying that Jesus is true. You're saying God is true. Seen it. The third and most powerful thing that, Christ, that John tells us is that Christ is the preeminence of source. And here, my friends, are the most wonderful things about Jesus that I can possibly think about. Of all the men who have come into the world who have tried to lead people to God, and by the way, I've studied Buddhism, I've studied other religions, and it, it's amazing to me how many people have sought for peace. Peace in their heart, peace in their soul through so many aberrant ways. And the most amazing thing is that John's testimony is that this Jesus is not only the origin of all things, not only the truth of who God is in speaking his word, he is the source of life. 
And the most powerful part of this is in verse 35 where John writes and he says these words. He says, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. What does he mean? Well, if you noticed, the, the prophets in the Old Testament were given the spirit to speak God's word, but it was not forever and it did not last until the prophecy was over. When you look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist was given the Spirit, but he was only given the Spirit in limited measure to do baptism and call people to repentance. Here, this Jesus, as John explains who Jesus is, is given the fullness of God. He is limitless in God's Spirit. In other words, he is the source, the truth, the way, the life. He is the fullness of God where other men who've come before him may have been endowed with the spirit to speak God's word. He is the living word of God. And there's no limit to his truth. No limit to his power. No limit to his ability to save. This is why if you look in the rest of the verse in verse 36, you find this tremendous truth. And this is simply this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? Do you understand what John is testifying to you? That if you believe in Jesus, you have life. Some of you deal with the uncertainty of it. You may fall into a certain sin and you just think, oh, I'm, I wish I wasn't the way I am. That is not anything more than a trial. It is never a test of whether you believe or not. It is simply a trial that is there for you to see for yourself whether I have put my trust in Christ and the work of the cross or do I try to save myself. It's amazing. These past Sundays, we have had youth group in the afternoon, and I've talked to the youth group about the Ten Commandments, and I asked them the question, why do you think God gave us his law? And, and they finally came to the realization, they said, well, it was probably to re reveal to us how holy God is. And I said, yeah, that's true. And as they talked a little more, they said, you know, it probably shows us how bad we really are. And I said, yeah, it really does. But here's the question. If God who is good expects all of his creation, including you and me, to obey him completely and perfectly, why would God give us a good law that we cannot keep? What kind of God is that? Why would God give us laws that show us his holiness and our sinfulness. And we know we cannot keep them perfectly. Why would God do that? And one girl finally spoke up and said. To show us how much we need Jesus. And I said you got it. This is John's testimony. This is why we need. This is why the only hope we have is that he would be upon that cross bearing our sins for us on that tree so that through him we would know the forgiveness of God, not based upon your works, 
or your good behavior or your attitude, but based upon the truth that God came in Christ and gave himself for you. And now that you are in him, what does John say? He who believes has eternal life. And the one who doesn't believe the wrath of God remains on him. Wait a minute. The, the wrath of God? Yeah. You don't really think God is going to let this darkness continue forever, do you? It says he will judge it. Remember the Apostles' Creed? He will come to judge both the quick and the dead. John's testimony to us is the only hope I have the only hope you have is that you would come to believe in Jesus completely without reservation resisting putting any confidence in anything else 